Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome, everyone, to Kingdom Community. My name is Glenn Blakeney. Guys, I am so glad that you've tuned into the show today. It's going to be awesome. My guest is Dr. Doug Stringer. He's the founder and president of Somebody Cares America and Somebody Cares International. It's an organization that's known for connecting needs with resources during times of crisis and disaster. Doug's years of service have taken him literally to communities and nations all over the globe. Doug is an American of Asian descent. He's considered a bridge builder of reconciliation amongst various ethnic and religious groups. Doug serves on a number of advisory boards, including the Geneva Institute for Leadership. He's an incredible man of God. He's also the author of many books, most recently his book, Leadership Awakening, Foundational Principles for Lasting Success. Highly recommend the book. Doug is going to be sharing his story about how he came to know the Lord and how the Lord took him from humble beginnings and used him to literally become an amazing man of God who's spoken to leaders all over the world, presidents and other leaders. He's been used powerfully by God, and I know this interview is going to encourage you. Bless you guys as you watch. Hey, Doug, welcome to Kingdom Community. So blessed to have you with us. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, it's great to be with you, Glenn, and been looking forward to this time together. Awesome. Well, let's just start with your journey. I know you've been in ministry for a long time. How did you come to know the Lord and then end up getting involved in ministry? And obviously a very significant ministry. We'll talk more about that. Absolutely. It's interesting. In the last uh, few days, people have been asking me that same question going, I can't believe that's the way you used to be. I mean, I just, they've always known me for the last 40 years as who I am, but uh, I do have a bit of a history. Um, and I'll take it back to uh, people always look at me and say, what are you? Japanese, Chinese, uh, Vietnamese, or, or Hispanic. And I got that a lot growing up, but I was actually born in Japan. My mother okay. was Japanese and my father was actually born and raised in Houston and my stepfather was born and raised in Waco, and they were both career military. And uh, so I was actually born in a military base in Japan, uh, and then I moved to America when I was about almost three years old. And uh, so that was San Diego area. And my father was stationed at the amphibious base where the Navy SEALs, he was a Navy SEAL. Oh, they were wow. trained, trained there in the amphibious base in Coronado, California. And then my mother and father went through divorce during the Vietnam War after he got out of the military. And my stepfather, who was also in the military, uh, married my mom, obviously. And so we went to Japan for my high school years. So I actually went to high school at an American school in Japan. Now, we lived at a naval uh, air base, but they bused me to an Army high school. Wow. And so that was a great experience. And I really look at now that every life experience for me hmm. has been a part of my life message. Hmm. And so the, even the idea of being a reconciler, believing it's important to what cross our racial, denominational, generational lines, meeting at the cross of Christ together, really uh, was really built up and foundational from my uh, growing up as a military brat, because we were always around 
people from various nations and ethnicities and backgrounds. So we had to be intentional about having common goals together and becoming part of something bigger than ourselves. But I remember living in San Diego, and I can't remember why or how, but I just knew I wanted to go to church. And so if there was a neighbor going to Sunday school at a church, I wanted to go with them. Or if a, a van or a bus came into the neighborhood going to a church, I wanted to go. I didn't care if it was Baptist or Assembly of God, a community church. I just wanted to go. There was something about going to church. So those seeds, I believe, were planted. But you fast forward that I ended up in Houston, Texas in 1978. And uh, and I was running a chain of fitness centers. As I came here looking for my biological father. Well, I left when I was about 10. And he left when I was about 10. And I was 21 at that time. And had already been through all the drugs and partying and living a semi-homeless life, living on freight trains at the age of 18 and up and down the coast of Washington, Oregon and California, hitchhiking everywhere, living in broken down apartment complexes or trailer parks. And so, of course, doing a lot of the things that my generation was doing at the time and still professing to say that I was a Christian because, after all, we're all human, right? right? And But when I ended up in Houston looking for my father, I was 21, 1978, and uh, it was in that process that my Heavenly Father found me and mm. that I got a revelation. My best friend was killed over a drug deal. I was at this time running a chain of fitness centers and had an exercise business, and when I found out he was killed, I went to my knees and said, God, I can't take this anymore. Mm. And it was so distinct. It wasn't audible, but it, it could have been. It was that strong when I heard the Lord say, don't call me Lord anymore, Doug, unless you're willing to live for me. Hmm. And of course, the your mind goes, like, well, wait a minute. I believe Jesus is the son of God, so I must be a Christian. Right. And the Lord just spoke to my heart very clearly with conviction, saying, even the demons of hell know who I am, hmm. what makes you any different. And something about that moment of all the times I almost overdosed on a drug or had guns pointed in my face. I always cried, God, help me. I'll serve you the rest of my life. And I'd go back to the way I was. But something at that moment when I said, Lord, if you can do anything with someone like me that has broken your heart and brought shame to your name, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I'll make myself available the rest wow. of my life. Now, I probably said that same prayer multiple times that something happened at that moment that uh, there's no lightning bolts, nothing changed except that something happened in me. And within the next day or so, God was already doing a work of grace that I couldn't even comprehend. I began to read the Bible. It became alive to me. I'd want to pray. I wanted to be around Christians. I couldn't wait to get to a church nearby. I'd walk, watch Christian television and get a phone number to find out what local church would be near my exercise business. And, and I just found myself automatically wanting to share my faith because of what happened to me at that moment. And up to that point, I had been in sin, living and partying, professing to be a Christian, but God just turned my world around, shook my world, and soon I began just to play Christian music. I began to, I didn't even know what words of knowledge were, but I'd read something in the Bible. Someone would come into my exercise business, and I, I said, I feel like I'm supposed to share something with you. I didn't even know what that was. I just began to operate in some of the gifts of the Spirit without even realizing I was. And people would look at me and say, how did you know that? I go, well, I'm not sure, but I was reading the Bible last night, and I've been praying, and I felt like I was supposed to share that with you. And as a result, one day, Glenn, I woke up and I had 17 homeless people, gang members, at-risk youth living in my apartment. And here I'm a business guy trying to run a business, but I thought all Christians were supposed just to make themselves available. So I, I literally took, you know, took that prayer and did something with it and began to see people's needs. And, 
And uh, somebody gave me a house in the suburbs. I didn't know about re deed restrictions, but I put 12 more people there until the uh, authorities called me and says, you can't be doing that and putting all these people in your house. Besides, one of your kids is on the roof screaming, the aliens are coming. The aliens are coming. <laughs> and then a businessman uh, who was a very well-known businessman in Houston had become a Christian. And he took me under his wing a little bit. And he said, Doug, I'm developing an apartment complex and condos in a new development area. I'd like to give you a townhouse if you'll teach a Bible study once a week wow. and teach exercise classes at our gym that we have there. I'm a brand new believer. And yet, and for whatever reason, he felt led to tell me that. So I did that, put six more kids there. And that's how we got started. Revival broke loose in that part of our city. And to this day, there's still people talking about the landmarks that have happened in the last 40 years that happened through that region in that area of Houston and outside of Houston where God is still moving as a result of those landmark moments those 40 years ago. Wow, that's powerful. It's amazing how the Lord just, you know, those sovereign foundations are laid in our life, that we have those experiences that just help shape us for what God has called us to do. And I know that you've been active in ministry for a long time. We're we're going to jump into that, but you're the president and founder of Somebody Cares America and Somebody Cares International. So what was the vision? Like, how did that happen? And and then let's talk about actually what Somebody Cares does, what, what Somebody yeah. Cares is all about. Well, in 1981, when I started taking all these people in and helping them, and, and God just began to give me this a, a training in this school of experience and helping to pastor, disciple people without even understanding it. I'd fill up two and three rows at churches with people. I'd be having volunteers help me take people to church and, and just amazing testimonies of what happened in those days. In fact, you and I were talking about how you uh, have served in, in Australia and other parts of Southeast Asia. And uh, in the early 1980s, there was a triathlete from Australia on a one-year holiday. And I had just taken off of the streets, a kid who hadn't eaten for four days and took him to a, a teen challenge outside of Houston. All the way back, I saw a guy with a sign that said, uh, Australian. And so I pulled over and uh, and he said, look, I, I, I need some help. I don't I need a place to stay for a day or two. I'm just traveling on a holiday. So I took him back to my exercise business and he fell asleep on the, in the reception area. I was back in my office. Well, that street kid took the Australian's passport and his backpack with his money and took off. And so this Australian had to stay with me for almost seven weeks waiting to get a new passport. But within the first few days, the Lord did such a work in him. He gave his life to the Lord. I took him to an Amy Grant uh, concert here in Houston, the Astroworld at that time. Oh, yeah. And he had never seen anything like that. <laughs> and so he gave his life to the Lord. And he ended up back in Australia after the year holiday. He met a girl from New Zealand. And when he got back to Australia, people said, something's different about you, Andrew ended up in the newspapers and Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Youth for Christ began to ask about what happened to him. He said, this Japanese-American guy picked me up hitchhiking, going through Houston, and, and something touched my heart when I saw what they were doing to reach the, the needy and the homeless and the poor. And it just provoked my heart that what they're doing is the gospel. And so he ended up giving his life to the Lord. Today, uh, he has served, he and his wife served with uh, Compassion International out of Australia uh, his children speak fluent uh, Bahasa Indonesian wow. from Australia. And uh, the kids all grew up calling me Uncle Cool Bumblebees because 
whenever I was visiting in Australia, if they did something really cool, they go, that's cool, bumblebees. So I became cool, Bumble, Uncle Bumblebees. <laughs> but so that process of just making myself available, yeah. and by 1984, people said, well, Doug, because I ended up calling my, my exercise business, it transitioned into a, like a Christian activity center because I led a choreographer at all of his dance company called the Love Machine Dancers, and they weren't Christian Love Machine. Huh. And when I led them all to the Lord, they'd been a part of Dance Fever, Solid Gold, Urban Cowboy wow. Movie. And when I led the choreographer and one by one, all the dancers to the Lord, they became known around the world now as a damn dance company, which is unto God. So they wow. do ballet, tap, jazz and all kinds of things all over the world. Why wham and traveling everywhere. And then I, they began to bring people to me from the streets because I was taking all these people in. And that's how we got started. And the testimonies of those days that we look back now that we didn't think that was being effective then. But I got a message from a young lady who said, you took me off the streets when I was a teenager and you probably figured out, wondered what happened to me. But I want you to know I'm married. I'm a grandmother. I work with AIDS babies in India. Another man said that you helped me off the streets. And and I was I dropped out of of college with uh, with one credit to graduate, got involved in drugs and partying, basically homeless. You helped me out today. I'm a very successful businessman. So we kept getting all these stories of how a little seed of making ourselves available changed lives. And so in 1984, people said, well, you have a ministry. What are you going to call it? I said, well, I don't need it. I thought all Christians are supposed to do this. So I was taking initially a vitamin pack every day called Turning Point of Nutrition. And it was a multi-pack of vitamins. And so I started calling our ministry Turning Point Ministries. That was back in the early 80s. Then Turning Point Christian Center. But we put out a business card everywhere we went with street kids and rock concerts. And uh, we would give them a business card and it would say, somebody cares 24 hours a day. And then we'd have a hotline pager number in the early days. I found that many kids would throw away the tracks, but they wouldn't throw away the cards because it was something about the term, somebody cares 24 hours a day. Six months, six years later, we'd get phone calls from people saying, I've got your card. It was all over the country. It, was, it started in Houston, but they ended up all over the country. And we found that there was just something about that term. So we later started what was called Somebody Cares Houston, where we had over 300 churches sign covenants of unity together, crossing racial, denominational wow. lines, had 40 days of fasting and prayer and worship. We call it Houston Prayer Mountain. And then it moved into Somebody Cares chapters all across America and affiliates all over the world. So now it's called Somebody Cares International. Primarily, Glenn, four things. We're known for local, national, international prayer initiatives, because I believe everything we do has to be out of prayer and presence. Secondly, we've been known for our compassion coalition of relationships. So when a crisis happens, naturally, instead of just looking for someone who's going to respond during a disaster, there's already ministries and churches in local communities that know their community better. So it's the coalition already in place that is best at responding to the third thing, disaster and crisis response. So the Indonesian earthquake and tsunami, we were able to connect with our relationships there. When the Japan uh, tsunami happened, we already have relationships, Philippines, Haiti, wherever it may be, we already have relationship equity. So we move quicker than all the entities that try to go from the top down. And then fourthly, because of what we do, a lot of athletes, highly successful business uh, uh, leaders around the world, you would know some of I mentioned in, in Asia, that are very well known, given the highest titles of their king or prime minister, wow. uh, have asked me to disciple them. Not because I'm smart, 
just because they saw the tangibility of Christ. And so we've been able to help mentor, disciple leaders in all spheres of, of the seven spheres of the culture. Wow, that's so powerful. So, Doug, I mean, obviously, all of what you've done started uh, about 40 years ago. And yes, then yeah. here we are now in the 21st century, 2022. Things are different. We've, we're coming out of COVID. Um, you know, the world has changed. What is going on? <laughs> well, I think that would be a great question for you to answer too. But I, since you're asking me my, my personal thoughts on this, I, I've always believed that uh, Luke 21 is a prophetic scripture out of Jesus' own words. When he said that when all these things take place, he talked about wars and rumors of wars, uh, uh, kingdom against kingdom, ethnos against ethnos, race against race, uh, uh, kingdoms against kingdoms, nations against nations, that we would see all the earthquakes, famines, fires, all these things would take place. But in verse 13 of Luke 21, Jesus says, and I believe he's speaking to us, but it shall be an occasion for your testimony. In other words, regardless of our eschatology and, and about end times, the reality is that no matter what's happening, that it's an opportunity for us as the church, because we're made for moments like this, to let God's light so shine in us that it draws others close to him. Matthew 5, 16, you're familiar with that scripture. When Jesus in his own words again said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Now, I, I've written some books, and one of them I talk about with a fishing pole, I catch one fish. But if we learn to work together, become a mended net, become part of something bigger than ourselves, then in times of crisis, we can accomplish so much more because we're being cast by the Lord to build his kingdom, not our own. Because while men reach for thrones to build their own kingdoms, Jesus reached for a towel to wash men's feet. Mm. Wow. So powerful. And you've obviously, through Somebody Cares International, you've mentioned some of the initiatives you've been involved in. You've mentioned the earthquakes, the tsunamis, that type of thing. Uh, that's powerful. And because of your investment in caring for people, helping uh, manifest the love of Christ in those tangible ways, the Lord has opened doors for you to speak into various different places throughout the world. And so just tell us a little bit about what's been going on during the pandemic for you guys. Somebody cares. I mean, it's a, a different season of ministry. That's for sure. You know, in many ways, and you and I have talked uh, about this before, in many ways, the kingdom is expanding for those of us that make ourselves available. And uh, it, kind of tongue in cheek, I tell people, they go, how do you how were you with that Muslim president praying for them in the name of Jesus? How, how are you in that gathering? How are you talking to that person? How I said, look, I'm kind of like the Asian Forrest Gump. <laughs> I made myself available and I just live that every day, available and obedient. And the reality is I just show up in the picture, not because I'm smart, because I have a lot to offer. But if we make ourselves available and we're spending time with the Lord, then we're taking his presence with us and it draws people to us. And then we're able to direct them to the heart of Christ for them. Hmm. And so when I think about even how somebody cares has emerged, even through the last two plus years with the pandemic, I think we were already being groomed and prepared for moments like this. So, for example, when I found out that there was a lack of N95 masks across the United States, for sure, and there was a lot of uh, emergency clinics and hospitals and, and first responders really in need of N95 masks, 
Well, it just so happens because we already do disaster relief. We have what we call the virtual Joseph storehouse. We have relationship equities all across the country and other parts of the world. So I began to look around. We already had almost 100,000 N95 masks brand new in our storage right here in Houston, not even counting all the relationships that we had across the country. So immediately we were able to give away all those uh, N95 masks to people who need them, our doctors and nurses and first responders and, and uh, churches that had need of them. And then during the pandemic, I found there was actually some business communities that were looking for people they could trust, saying, look, uh, we know a lot of people cannot pay their rent. They're affected by the co by COVID. There's, their families are struggling. They, they can't go to work. They have no income. Uh, if we give you X amount of money, can you help get it allocated and screen families who could use the help? We said, absolutely. Well, they came back again saying, well, you've done such great reports and what you've been able to do. Can you take some more? And they finally came back and said, look, here's a few hundred thousand dollars we trust you to be able to go out and find the people that really could use the help, not just to hand up, but really helping them to get back on their feet. And then time and time again, we found companies, we found individual businesses doing the same thing, looking for people. And they didn't care if you're Christian or not Christian. They didn't care if we're, right. you know, a church-based organization. They came to us because they saw the fruit of. So regardless of separation of church and state and all the, the political divisiveness they were willing to come and look for people like us that had a track record. And I think I wrote that today on one of my, my uh, posts that relational equity comes from trust and relationship. Hmm. Whereas we people want to get credibility by association, but yet true relational equity only comes from relationship and trust, right? Uh -huh. And so I think it's important for us to realize that we have to build equity by building trust and being present. It's the ministry of presence in our communities, in our cities, be it urban or rural, in our states, in our nations. And I just see how the body of Christ really is a vibrant organism that we recognize it's not important who gets the credit, but the fact that we can work together to bring a lasting change of transforming lives. Yeah. So good. So good. Wow. Thank you. And, you know, obviously that kind of is a segue into what I was going to ask you about what's been happening in America, um, especially over the past two plus years. We've had so many different challenges and a lot of legitimate things uh, coming out, concerns that need to be addressed, some things that perhaps have never really fully been understood. Um, you know, as someone who's traveled a lot in and been in other cultures, there's something about that. It helps you to understand people. And, and I think at least to listen to people, to hear their perspectives. Mm -hmm. And we're facing some real challenges in America today. What are mm -hmm. some of the core issues that the church is facing that we need to be aware of, but how do we respond to it in a way that really is redemptive? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'll answer it this way. I had a, a spiritual grandfather by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. Oh. And he used to write me little notes. And one of the notes he wrote me says, my, my dearest brother, Doug, let others live on the raw edge or the cutting edge. You and I should live on the edge of eternity. So it's oftentimes when I'm going through these pity parties or I'm feeling like I just have nothing left to give, I'm reminded that there are multitudes upon multitudes still in the valley of decision. And I realize it doesn't matter about how I feel. It's a matter of, of the privilege of the calling. Remember David Livingston, the great mission, missionary to Southern Africa. Uh, he used to say that why is it when 
uh, an earthly king commissions us, we consider it an honor. But when the heavenly king commissions us, we call it a sacrifice. Every morning I have two prayer times. And one of them, I just say, Lord, it's just thanking him for everything. I say, Lord, it's not a sacrifice to serve you. It's the privilege of your calling. Thank you for the joy of your salvation and the privilege of your calling. Amen. And so in that context, I believe that God is allowing a shaking to take place because revival that we've all been praying for, and, and Charles Finney said revival is no more miracle than a crop of wheat. The miracle is not in the planting of the seed. We do that by simple obedience or the nurturing of the soil or, or the fertilizing, the watering. But the miracle happens in our simple obedience, which is the highest form of worship. We plant seeds of our time, talent, resources, and then God reigns in prayer. When we pray, he pours out the Holy Spirit. And the miracle happens to the seed after we've, we've sowed the seed. Hmm. So I believe that we've been praying for revival for so long. We've been praying Second Chronicles seven fourteen for so long, more people than ever. But we're trying to do things from an institutional standpoint rather than incarnational and relational. So I believe wow. God is trying to shake us up to get us back to the worship of the El Bethel, the God of the house. Too often we, we, we worship in celebrity, even in the church, and we worship the Bethel or the Bethel, the institution, but we're to worship the God of the house, the, the wow. El Bethel. And too often, I think we become worshipers of what we think we've accomplished and the successes that we see before us, rather realizing it's the incarnational presence of the living God that gives us the privilege to take that calling, that commission, that anointing, to go forth and share it with others. I, I shared in some books of mine, that because uh, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole was like a spiritual father, the founder of the Christian Men's Network. Yes. I still serve on that board. And uh, he was a spiritual father since the early 80s and really took me under his wing in many ways. He used to say high gloss, cheap merchandise. And I've kind of built it from there. Sometimes mm -hmm. you see beautiful furniture and it's really glossy. But he said it's cheap merchandise. It, will, it never will have value because it looks glossy because the merchandise or the raw materials is not the best. Right. Well, the same is true. I think a lot of our institutional Christianity is like costume jewelry. It has a lot of glitter. It looks nice, but it has no value because it's not real silver or gold. Mm -hmm. I think it's time for us to get back to the relationship, the incarnational presence of God. If we're going to see the authenticity of revival, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for salvation, healing, liberation, and deliverance. And as you believe that it's not something you have to go work up. It's a, it's a byproduct, the outcome of being in the presence of God and sharing the gospel of good news everywhere you go. Amen. And, you know, I just want to say to our listening audience, we call them the kingdom community. You know, there's an amazing passage in John 15 where Jesus told us really in the last week of his life that we are to abide in the vine uh, as a branch would, you know, we abide in Christ as a branch would abide in the vine. And if we do, we will bear much fruit. And really what he was saying is this, that abiding is a process, but bearing fruit is the promise. And I've seen that throughout the years, you know, where there's been a focus on trying to bear fruit as Christians. But if we get back to Jesus, this is what I'm hearing you say, to the authentic worship of Jesus Christ, and we're connected to him, the one through resurrection power and life flows, we begin to manifest that fruit, that that love, that that, you know, the fruit of righteousness, all those things. And that crosses denominational lines, um, ethnic lines, racial lines, cultures, nations, doesn't it? And, Absolutely. And and so you've been, let, let me ask you this, you're doing some things right now, and, and we've talked a little bit about this, 
to help bring reconciliation. Um, and you've been doing this for years, actually. And, and how, what does that look like? And, and how is that, um, how are people responding, especially right now in 2022? Well, as you know, we all quote the scripture and our, our friend who went to be at the Lord last year, the late uh, Bishop uh, Harry Jackson, uh, believed in the church reconciled. But that doesn't mean we compromise our convictions. Mm. We can still love and have uh, uh, civil discourse in our, in our public discourse uh, w- without being a loss of civility. But the problem is mm. today, everyone feels like you have to hate each other in our disagreements. We don't have mm. to do that if we have a foundation to build on, and the foundation is on the Lord. I love what uh, a friend of mine who's a key pastor and was the former pastor of Nikki Haley, the ambassador of the United, to the United Nations, the U.S., former governor of South Carolina. And uh, my friend, Pastor Jeff Kersey of Mount Horb United Methodist Church said, uh, he sent me a quote by John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist Church. And John Wesley said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or in America, but I'm afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect. Uh, They should, uh, as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power, and this undoubtedly will be the case unless they have hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. So in other words, that could be true for any denomination, any of us as Christians, because the reality is, is that many of us, have lost our, we're not tethered anymore. We've lost our way. And mm. I think if we're going to see real reconciliation, it can't be forced reconciliation. It has to be in a commonplace, the centrality of the cross. It's not political centric or ethnocentric that has become mm. so divisive today, but it has to be Christ centric. It's the centrality of the cross. If we don't have that to build on, we build on nothing. My mother was a widow as Japanese, four foot 11, but I was scared of her my whole life. You know, there's something about mamas, right? And she came to live with me for eight years when she was a widow before she went to be with the Lord. I had the pleasure of leading her, my stepdad, and my biological father to the Lord, and they're all in heaven now. But I remember one day I was leaving the house, and I was going to speak at a conference with Jack Hayford and Jim Cimbala at a prayer conference. So I'm rushing out of the house, and my mother says, Dougie, Dougie, you got to do something. I said, what's wrong, Mom? She goes, there's crack in the wall. Of course, she saw a crack in the sheetrock, right? Yeah. She goes, that means we have foundation crack. You have to fix foundation or we have more crack in the wall. Uh-huh. So I said, Mom, I'm trying to be spiritual. I'll be, I, I, I have to go. But my mother was right because I ended up costing me more by neglecting the build, fixing the foundation, the crack wow. foundation that cost me more later. Uh-huh. Well, Paul speaks of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, doesn't he? He says there's nothing we can build on that will last if it's not built on the foundation of Christ. I think a lot of times, even in our Christianity, in Christendom, we have begun to build on success stories of what makes the world work, rather than getting back to the centrality of the cross and building on the foundations of Christ. That's the only thing that's guaranteed that's unshakable. The unshakable kingdom of God, Hebrews 12. The only thing that is guaranteed to last is the kingdom of God. And I think that's where we have to get back to that place of our first love, being tethered with the Lord, and realizing it's not about me. In fact, I, I just add this, and I know I'm probably taking too much time. No, no, I'm, you're not. Please. please. No, so please. Uh, many years ago, there was the uh, a state convention for a national political party. Now, because I've been around a long time, people tend to invite me to be kind of a, a person to share or to pray invocations at different gatherings. And 
this political political party asked me to come and do an invocation to about, I think, 17,000 delegates. And so uh, I get there and the chairman of that political party says to me, uh, can you stretch your time? Senator so-and-so is not ready. I have been processing some things I wanted to share and thinking, but I'm a man under authority. I'm not just going to share it unless I'm asked to take more time. Well, who would have thought they're going to ask me to take more time? Crazy. But one of the things I said in that seven minutes that I shared at this convention, and I would have said it to any political party because it it fits. I said from uh, pulpits to political offices, from preachers to politicians and all in between, we need a revival of character. Now, this was many years ago, and I would say that's so much more true today than ever before. We have too many people who love themselves more than they love the people they're called to serve. That's including preachers and politicians. I think we need to get back to the wisdom of Solomon or this wisdom that God gave Solomon to discern the times in which we're in, like the sons of Issachar. Because you said something earlier, and I, I think this is a prophetic quote by William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. And he wrote this over 100 plus years ago. He said, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Who would have thought how prophetic that statement would have been over 100 plus years ago where we would be now in 2022? Wow. Yeah, you know, I've heard that before, and uh, but now, wow, more than ever, it, it's so uh, spot on, so relevant. So, where where are we headed? Um, you know, I guess there's two ways to look at this. If the Lord doesn't intervene, and if we don't do our part, really, because we know that He calls us to that place of repentance, that place of calling on His name. I mean, where are we headed? Where is the world going? And if we do our part, if the church responds, you mentioned seven, Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. Uh, where are we headed then? What's that going to look like? <laughs> well, I'll purpose it with saying I love this scripture also in Second Chronicles that it says all the priests came out of the holy place, not according to division. Can you imagine when you're in the presence of a triune holy God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When you're in that place like Isaiah 6, when you're in the presence of a holy God, you're undone. But when we're undone in ourselves, God is able to do a work in us and put coals in our lips and, and pick us up and commission us to go do what he's called us to do. So in Second Chronicles 5, when the priest came out of the holy place, not according to division, because when you're in the presence of God, you can't be divided. That's where we have to get back to the presence of a holy God. And then in that place, it became one voice of worship and, and singing and instruments. And that's where the glory of God will come. I believe we need to get back first and foremost to the presence of God with authenticity, restoring the altar of worship, getting back to the things that attract God's presence. If we get back to that first, then we have something to build on. Now, I do believe that uh, it, it's, it's both and revival will come by choice or circumstances. I believe that we'll see both at the same time. And let me give you two little simple stories that kind of kind of acknowledge what I mean, because we have to touch hearts, don't we, if we're going to see revival. In, in Indonesia, and I know you love Indonesia, in Indonesia in 1998, I was asked to go speak to a gathering of about 30,000 people in Jakarta. 
It just so happened to be during their annual uh, Independence Day series. And, but it was also during the time of the Asian economic collapse that who would have known that overnight their money, uh, over 200 million people, over 100 million of them, half the population overnight went below the poverty line. Good people began to do bad things. Mm. Bad people did atrocious things. And many people were trying to find scapegoats, so they began to burn down uh, churches, began to vandalize churches, looking just like in the days of Nero, blaming someone for the Ill, ills of the day. It was in that context when I was asked to come. And I talked to my pastor friends in Indonesia, and I said, look, look, we have to come with an opposite spirit. So let's do this. Let's do something of compassion outreach, even to those who are your enemies. They're thinking, how are we going to do that? Our money's worthless. We don't have anything. I said, let's try what the Bible says in the feeding of the 5,000 men, not even counting women and children. Take what fish or, or rice or chicken or whatever you have. Let's put that together and let's do something. So they came up with the idea of doing 30 uh, locations and churches called Free Lunch from the Lord. Now, that wasn't going to feed all of Indonesia, but while we we're in Jakarta, they opened up 30 locations that just said Free Lunch from the Lord. Muslim clerics and even people who were vandalizing churches began to ask them, why are you doing this? They began to bring rice and fish and chicken and other things. And it, it, it was multiplied. The fish's load became multiplied. Well, the, the president of the nation heard what was happening, invited 100 local pastors in Jakarta and myself to the presidential palace. I was told that it never happened before. On seven minutes of national television, he apologized for the sins of the nation. And he actually said, Jews... Arabs or Jews, Muslims, and Christians should get along because we all look back to Abraham. So that was the entry point. Then you fast forward to the tsunami because of the relationship equities we built in 1998. Now in the tsunami, the first people in, in Banda Aceh, the doorway to Mecca, was not the United Nations, but it was Indonesians working with the Indonesian military and others to come in to, to reach out to even those that did not like them. Yeah. As a result, when I sent my team from Australia and from the U.S. to meet with the, the governor of Banda Aceh, the vice governor, because the governor was arrested and was put in jail, the vice governor in his home, as they were having a meal together, said, my mind and my heart are in conflict. And my team said, why? Mm -hmm. He said, because during your calamity, during 9-11, we danced in the streets at your calamity. But during our calamity, you're not dancing in the streets. You're here helping us. So my mind and my heart are in conflict. See, his heart was being tugged on, which bypasses the arguing of the mind. That's one thing I believe we need to do. And let me give you this one last story that kind of ties in on a personal note. In the, 19, in the early 1990s, there was a disc jockey uh, of a secular radio station who had AIDS. He, he had an alternative lifestyle. He hated Christians. He would come and disrupt some of our meetings, our revival services, he would call us all kinds of names, but we continued to minister to him. One day I was on a two-hour Christian radio talk show. He calls, changed his name, but I could tell it was his voice. He began to just say some vile things, calling us hate mongers and Christians are this and Christians are that and calling me names. And I said, is this so-and-so? And he realized I knew it was him. I go, where are all your friends when you really need them? And he said, what are you talking about? My friends, we stick together. I said, Really? When you couldn't pay your rent and your light bill last month, where were your friends? Oh, he goes, how did you know about that? Yeah. I said, it doesn't matter how we know about that. 
But my small team of volunteers, we heard you couldn't pay your rent and your liability. We took up a special offering out of our own pockets and we anonymously paid your rent and your light bill. And we never thought we were ever gonna have to tell you. We did because God told us to do it. Yeah. We didn't know what to say. It shut the mouth of the lions. I yeah. was in Phoenix, Arizona at a Mission okay. America gathering and helping to serve communion for some of the leaders in different ministries. I get a message from my office. I called. They said, so-and-so's in the hospital. It looks like he's in full-blown AIDS. Uh, we're not sure how long he's gonna last. Oh. I called another spiritual son who also had HIV who got saved radically in a dream and, and God introduced him to our ministry in a dream. And that's a whole nother story. It's amazing. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so he came and became part of a spiritual son of my life. And, and I called him and I said, Bill, so-and-so is in the hospital. Can you go and check on him and pray with him? If he's willing to let you pray, Bill went to the hospital. He met with this person, hated us. And the first thing he said was, why did you pay my rent and light bill? And Bill said, that's what Christians do. The Lord spoke to us to do that. That night, he led him to the Lord, and the next day, that young man passed away. Wow. A few months later, I'm speaking at a large church, multiple services in another part of Texas. Between services, a woman comes to me. I tell the story, but I never say the person's name. This woman comes to me with teary-eyed and says, can I ask you a question? Was his name such and such? I said, yes, did you know him? She began to weep. She said, that was my son. I had been praying, God, would you send people to reach my son? Did you reach my son? See, it wasn't about us. We're the donkeys that God got to use. It was about a praying mama's heart, something about a crying heart of a mama praying for her son. And we didn't know the back end story of this person who hated us. But yet there was somewhere along the way that there was a seed of the gospel. And we were able to see it come to fruition by doing an act of kindness that changed, come with an opposite spirit to change his heart today. Even in Indonesia, because of acts of kindness, we're seeing that things are shifting. And even now, some Muslim clerics are asking pastors, can you come pray with us and pray in the name of Jesus? There's something about when you pray in the name of Jesus. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, that is a miracle because I know. (laughs) And going back to something you said, you know, the way you pronounce Jakarta, how you said that I knew you've been to Indonesia, Jakarta, right? <laughs> but hey, Doug, seriously, uh, look, you've got a lot of books, a lot of resources. I want you just to recommend one book. People okay. have never heard of you, they don't know anything about you. What, what book would you recommend for them to read? Well, my wife says she fell in love with me when, before we got married in the original book called Somebody Cares, but now it's called Mending the Net, Bringing Hope in a Hurting World. And it really is talking about the importance of being linked together for the days in which we live. But if I was to recommend a book, especially for those who really need to persevere and be courageous in the days in which we live, it's my book, Leadership Awakening. And Leadership Awakening is foundational principles for lasting success. It comes with a workbook if you'd like to get that as well. But uh, it's amazing um, to me that two governors, uh, university presidents, the co-founder of an NBA basketball team, many others that... I, did, I just I wrote the book based on scriptural foundations, principles, but filtered through scripture and with a lot of stories. And who would have thought that all these kinds of leaders and business leaders from all over the world said that that was a, a book that they felt like they could read in one sitting because that's 25 uh, small chapters that you can really soak on and mull on. And it really applied principles in their lives. I just got a message the other day from somebody who said they went to a governor's office uh, in a particular state. And they said, we knew that we were in the right place. And we saw on their desk, your book, Leadership Awakening. And 
I've had others tell me that the every legislator in Texas, uh, Pennsylvania, Florida, other places, not solicited by me, but others hand delivered my book to various leaders because they feel like it's a message that wow. really needs to be applied today. Wow, that's awesome. So everybody, yeah, go to uh, Doug's website, DougStringer.com. So Doug, D-O-U-G, and then Stringer, S-T-R-I-N-G-E-R.com, especially for those on the uh, patio podcast listening. And Doug, specifically, Somebody Cares, how can people get involved with Somebody Cares? Sure. Our Somebody Cares website is very simple. It's somebodycares.org, somebodycares.org. Org. And we have chapters and affiliates under various names all over the world, from Love Botswana Outreach to Core Love in Haiti to uh, Love Bot uh, for Orphans and, uh, and uh, an Orphan Care in, in uh, Colombia. We have affiliates all over the country and around the world that really have a like heart together to be a tangible expression of, expression of Christ without compromising our convictions, our biblical convictions. We can do righteousness and justice at the same time. Amen. And that's so important, you know, especially with this generation now that's emerging with uh, millennials and, and Gen Z and, and obviously the alpha generation that's emerging. We need that practical expression of Christianity, as you mentioned, justice. So important, of course, and it's it's biblical. Uh, and that's what Jesus did. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. God was with him. So powerful. So, Doug, any closing words you'd like to share with our audience? Sure. You know, I've been a part of helping with various small to large stadium gatherings of prayer, uh, Joel 2 gatherings and Second Chronicles 714 gatherings, Glenn, as you know, and, and over the years. But um, I really feel like when we look at the book of Joel, it's only three chapters, but it's written in a time in a nation of crisis. Today, we have a global crisis but yet there was something so significant about crying out to God in the midst of our need, recognizing that we're nothing without him, we're undone without him. So I believe that if we go back to that place of authentic humility before God, like Micah tells us very clearly, that we should do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. If we will do that, I believe God can use us as we make ourselves available to do things far beyond our own human understanding or capacity what needs to be done today can't be done in human effort. It has to be done empowered by the Holy Spirit. One of the things I pray for every morning is a renewed revelation of God's presence. In other words, a revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And that I would also reflect in my own personal life and have a personal reflection of where I really am. I, I want to be brutally honest with myself. And then three, I want to truly be a man reconciled to God who knows how to be a reconciler to others because we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And I'm praying for revival. And I'm not talking about some revival for a two-night or three-night service. We need an authentic awakening revival in America again. And for that to happen, we need God to show up in a supernatural way in and through his people. If we're going to see an authentic reformation like the reform of Josiah in 622 B.C., it can't be just through legislating the laws of God. It has to be changing hearts. When hearts change, laws change. We can never keep laws changed because it will be a, a, a political cycle. But if the hearts of the people change, then the laws will stay intact and we'll see a lasting change of reformation. And we all need times of refreshing, but only refreshing only comes from authentic place of humility and repentance before God. I really believe it's time for refreshing, but it's going to take each of us being honest with ourselves 
and to be honest with God where we really are. Because without the love of truth, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, we'll begin way over to strong delusion. We really do have a generation seared of conscience, and we have been given over to delusional thinking. But the mm -hmm. only way to get back that place of true hope and revival is getting back into understanding that, God, we need you. We yeah. need to be, we want your presence because in your presence, you change everything. Amen. Yeah. So good. Thank you so much, Doug. Really appreciate you being on uh, the Kingdom Thank Community you. Show. Thanks so much. Bless you. Thank you, sir. One of the sponsors of the Kingdom Community Show is Audible. And we have a special offer for you guys. Just head over to audibletrial.com forward slash kingdom community and sign up for your free 30-day subscription to Audible. Download any audiobook you want. And even if you don't continue with the subscription after the 30 days, the audiobook is yours to keep. Again, that website address is audibletrial.com forward slash kingdom community. Thanks for joining us today at the Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about the Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.